these high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, the classical music podcast coming to you from under the influence of cannabis. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Most weeks, actually, to a degree. Not that we're coming on here just blasted, but it kind of helps the mind go. I mean, what excuses do you have? That's mine. Excuses? <laughs> I don't have any excuses. I have rationale. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's go into it. it Get takes, into it. It takes that anxiety dial and it just turns it way down. And because so many people talk about how cannabis brings their anxiety up. I'm I, sure you've I heard feel, that. I feel terrible for you. I know. Me too, because I couldn't I couldn't do it without cannabis. Thank you, cannabis. And thank you everyone for listening to Opus 97 of the Triloquy Podcast. Welcome. This is a podcast, if you're new, that takes the idea of classical music and does something a little different with it. This week, since it's 420 week, we're going to sort of infuse, uh, to use a cannabis word there. An infusion. Mm. To infuse cannabis into uh, some of our conversations. I want to give a shout out, uh, first and foremost, to Molly McCann, who's been on uh, Triloquy, a cannabis uh, expert and a professional and a a, professional. uh, expert when it comes to Fanny Hensel. If you want to uh, go back and uh, take a listen to that, I'll, uh, you can uh, find that on the website. Uh, but she sent me a couple of cannabis statistics, um, and I'm going to share one today in the first movement. We're going to sort of talk about that and relate it to a little bit of Western classical music and an idea that I hadn't um, thought about before. So looking mm. forward to uh, doing that. Feeling okay? today scott i know that the air is tense here in Man, the twin cities it is it is and i was just looking at twitter uh i follow a couple of uh, private drivers and they're talking about how you know shout out walter mondale died today and she was talking about seeing you know hearing that jesse jackson was speaking to a group a couple blocks over mm-hmm. and then a tank rolled by yeah so we're basically well not we but the city of minneapolis is essentially under uh, occupation, mi- just military occupation. occupation. Even over in St. Paul, like over on um, Cathedral Hill, there, 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 were there. And stuff okay, over there. I was out a couple days and I, a couple days ago, and I didn't see anything. So that's, that's yeah, they're, they're saying it's really spreading. But we'll we'll get into a little bit of that, Damn. the Chauvin trial, and all that uh, in the Triloquy in the final movement. Uh, support for this opus of Triloquy comes from friends of the Library of Montgomery City County. Uh, they're partnering with community radio in a way that's bringing awareness to vinyl, sort of reviving uh, vinyl in that community. This is in the Washington, D.C. area, Mm -hmm. um, reviving conversations of how music plays a role in uh, racial politics and learning about about the history of race in the United States. So Mm. I'll have the uh, link to their website there. Huge thanks to everyone at the Friends of the Library Montgomery City and County in the Washington, D.C. area for supporting Today's guest, Scott, is L.A. Khalil, who is a model, a musician, content creator, just sort of this Gen Z portfolio career sort of guy living over in Los Angeles. Last week, 
we talked a little bit in the triloquy about focus groups and really mm-hmm. talking to mm-hmm. uh, Generation Z and understanding what we need to do to uh, survive, to, to really uh, to get their attention. So with all of that in mind, I thought I would bring an actual Gen Zer in. We have a really great conversation. So what, what, yeah. what did that feel like for you to be the old guy for a change? It was, it was great because I felt like I could actually impart something and, and do something positive for the next generation. We listened to mm. a couple clips and I um, got his feedback. So huge shout out to L.A. Khalil for being a part of Triloquy. I know classical music so-called isn't his typical bag, but I think that's important that we get those perspectives True. And, and those ideas, right? Um, as far as the music that we have to uh, talk about, I'm going to talk a little bit about some ballet music today. What do you have? Well, Joel Thompson's In Response to the Madness was something that I thought was uh, very cool of the Minnesota Orchestra to add to their recent program. Last Friday night, they played it in um, webcast, simulcast on TPT and classical NPR. Um, And I'm looking forward to talking about it and getting your insight into it as well. And uh, since it's 420, you know, we have to touch on, you know, the king of reggae. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, but but all of that and more. Movement Mm. one here. We've been starting the first movement, checking our accidentals for these past few weeks with naturals, kind of going back and (laughs) putting Band-Aids on things from last week. Mm -hmm. We got to put a quick natural this week on what you were talking about um, last week when it comes to being pulled over by the cops and your perspective as a white man and the police. I want to start this (laughs) by saying that a lot of people reached out to me and we're like, oh, well, you know, Scott is a white man and X and Y's. Yes, all of that is great. I think it's important for Scott, you as a white man, to verbalize on this platform in mm-hmm. your honest and genuine, trill, if you will, way that you don't even give the police an inch. No. You don't even put it past them that they might shoot you because they're in a bad mood or or they're feeling extra aggressive that way. Mm-hmm. I, You don't have to know one has to tell me, it should be obvious that no one has to tell me that the police are disproportionately killing black folks. I I obviously understand that. I also think it's important to note that there are even white folks out here that don't see the police as safety either. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. And some people reached out to me as well about that uh, that comment. And I put it in, in the perspective of uh, identity politics becoming identity policing. Okay. Because we know from, you know, there's scattered news reports out there of the stories coming through about people who have a Biden-Harris sticker on their car being harassed. Or if, um, let's say, uh, a white trans person right. or a white gay couple is uh, out, you know, they, they, they too get harassed because it, it becomes more about your ideology rather than just yeah. your skin color. And maybe I may, I, I will admit that I'm not in as much danger as a black man. Obviously. No, no. Obviously. That's not what I'm saying. But it can get there. If a police officer can manufacture a reason to pull you over and, say, plant something in your car, it can happen to anyone. And if they want to make a story work, they have proven that that they can do that. I was in a clubhouse room 
uh, over this past week. And one of the things that I found myself in was this conversation of how Black Lives Matter across the country is searching uh, or, or finding ways to get more allies and accomplices. And at a rally in Mesa, Arizona, not too long ago, they focused their talk on police brutality on white victims of police brutality, white people who had been murdered by the police. And the name that they kept circling that I had never heard was Daniel Shaver. And I, we talked about it over dinner a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you told me you hadn't heard of it anyway. The, the there's a video on YouTube. It is very I'm I'm done with, with the trauma porn. Same. Um, but if if you need to go watch it, search that on YouTube. I'll have a, a an article about uh, his story uh, on in the description of this. I'm only bringing all of this up just to make the point that yes, we very much understand. I very much understand that black folks, black men, are disproportionately the victims of police brutality. We have to find a common front and understand that. We don't need to, that no one can really give them an inch because Mm -hmm. it will be you next. There have been white victims. People love to bring up the fact that more white people have been killed by the police than black people. Putting aside the proportions, the fact that black people constitute 13% of the American population and yet our numbers Mm -hmm. are comparable. Mm -hmm. You know, we can get into that conversation. And. I think it's important to note white people that they're killing y'all too. So you also need to be out in the streets. You also should be up in arms because they they are oppressing and murdering all of us. Every single white man in the South who has a rifle in the back window of his truck should have been pissed off at at Philando Castile's shooting. He was a legal gun owner that... Got shot in front of his girlfriend and daughter. I mean, for crying out loud. All of this to get us to one of this week's accidentals that actually you brought in, Scott. How mm. about you uh, talk a little bit about this article that you that you have here? Right. You might find it on a couple different sources, but it came through on Yahoo News for me. The headline is, More than 400 Virgin- Virginia convictions connected to one single officer could be overturned. This... Officer was 25 years old, 25 years old, 400 of his uh, traffic stops were contrived, and then either drugs, weapons, or both were planted. He pulled over, uh, the, the, the case that broke this through was from 2018, I believe it was, uh, where he pulled over a black fireman, a young fireman, and the fireman was able to prove that the stop was bogus that the weapon and drugs that he put in the fireman's car were not his. Then this young cop leaves the Virginia force. A couple weeks later is hired on in Brevard County in Florida. So what's going to happen when this story goes away and he's 30 or 35 right, and moves to Mesa, moves to... Plano, some other place, and gets a job, you know, as a deputy, and then works his way up. Then Four, what? Then 400 what? Virginia convictions connected and this to this officer. is 25 years old. Now, right, so 25 years old, can't have been on the force for too, too long, and already has four. Now, 
if it's 400 black people that he didn't fucked up, that, that won't be a surprise. Something tells me that it's a few whites in this 400 again. Well, by law of averages. No, you're right. Just the, to make it, the point again that it's more, it's more than us, which means more of us, more than just black people need to be outraged. That's, that, that, that's yeah. why I bring it up. Yeah. That's why I think that's an important part of the conversation to have. Yeah, uh, identity politics becoming identity policing. If we're not careful, it's right around the corner. That's why everybody needs to be uh, woken up to it now. So this is the question. What is this officer's punishment for the 400 lives that he has negatively impacted, the 400 lives that he has potentially, 400 families, 400 400 spouses, mm-hmm. 400 mm-hmm. grandmothers got to take care of grandkids now. What What is this officer's punishment? <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anything that's going to be equal. There's, there's nothing that's going to make up for it. How about if he assumed their sentence? Which means everything that he that put means on that he them, can, he yeah, gets. That he gets. Uh, he'll never be able to have a firearm. He'll never be able to run for office. Um, won't be able to vote. How you like me now? Well, you know, <laughs> thoughts and prayers to everyone involved. <laughs> what do you think? What do you, what do you think his punishment should be? We can put him in jail. We can do whatever. That doesn't solve the systemic issue. That that that's what I'm. That that's the headspace I'm in these days. The the individual cops. Yes, put him in jail and keep him there. That doesn't that doesn't fix the systemic issue, but it's still important to name these individual issues mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. and again to repeat what we started with with that little natural you know yes for the for the fourth fifth time I've I've said it here police are disproportionately killing murdering black people as soon as we consider this a problem that impacts all of us you know we can move forward yeah and that's my opinion on that. To, to put a sort of uh, positive spin and get us into a little bit of music as we transition to the next accidental. So this story takes place in Virginia. Uh, there is a very important uh, Virginia-based composer who had a birthday since we last recorded. Happy belated birthday to the one and only Adolphus Hale Stork, 80 years old. Looked pretty good for 80. Did you see any and pictures? Still, yeah, yeah, and still working. Still yeah, working. It's, it's, it's still doing it. All sorts of uh, music out there. Shout out to Bill Doggett, who is a, a champion of Adolphus Hale Stork, really getting all of his music uh, spread out. You had something there? No, I was just going to say you recently posted a photo with him. Tell me about when you had that photo taken. Oh, sure. So, yeah, I think that was back in 2017 at the Gateways Music Festival in Rochester, New York. Shout out to uh, the Gateways Music Festival. One of the pieces on the final concert was his American Port of Call. It has, Mm -hmm. you know, this little Mm -hmm. bassoon moment in there. It's this this nice concert opener. And he was in the audience. And I I didn't know that. I'm not sure how many people knew that. But after we played it, you know, if, if the conductor knows that the composer is in the audience... He usually tries to point to the composer or something to give the composer a little crowd bow. So when I saw him out there, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to get a picture with Adolphus Hellstork after the concert. So that's what I did. So, (laughs) yeah, and a nice guy. Um, The first thing he wanted to tell me about as soon as he saw a bassoon case strapped to my back uh, was his bassoon sets. He has a a set of pieces for solo bassoon. We'll uh, we'll sample one of those here, uh, one of those in a second. But I wanted to mention, since it's also 420, 
I think it was cool to have a bassoon piece here, especially this Adolphus Hillstork bassoon piece. One of the first times I heard the word bong, Scott. <laughs> Didn't really even know what they were talking about. I was in middle school. Uh, a school from Canada had come down to do some sort of little arts exchange. So they gave a performance. And after their performance, they came to the band room and we performed for them. It, as I'm walking um, off of the stage or whatever, uh, one of the students from the Canadian school is like, what is that? It looks like some giant bong. <laughs> and I thought, She's not wrong. I thought she said bomb. <laughs> and I just kept walking. And somebody else who heard was like, oh, yeah, it does look like a bong. I didn't know what they were talking about because I was an innocent child back then. I mm. obviously mm -hmm. I wonder if somebody uh has there's there has to be a bassoon shaped bong out there. <laughs> you know, you take it in through the vocal and you light it up there at the bell, just put a little net. <laughs> Think about it. Okay, You're, so the water's then in the bay in the in the basin. No, no the water, just air. Air, good air. Like you have to play the bassoon with good then air. Then it's a pipe. It's not a bong. <laughs> oh, oh, you're right. It, there has to be water for it to be a bong. Well, That's if there's the no rule. water, then it's a pipe. Well, then I guess they put some water in the bottom. Somebody needs to design that. Molly McCann, if, if you're Get listening, tell, tell somebody to do that. <laughs> but credit me with the idea. Anyway, <laughs> here's a little bit of uh, the bassoon set by Adolphus Hillstork to get us into our next accidental. went to high school somebody probably tried it took somebody a bassoon out of the band room probably tried to figure <laughs> it out as long as you got the tone holes covered up you're good you're good to go <laughs> i'm just saying they could make a they could make a device out of anything you know speaking of um molly uh she sent me some statistics today and i wanted to share one with you scott uh, to see what you thought so again if you don't know who molly mccann is um we'll link um, let, let me look right now, actually, to see what opus uh, she was on. Vamp, vamp, vamp for us, Scott. What do you What do you think about um, cannabis? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a, a late comer to it. Um, I was well into college, so shout out to Scott working for uh, Leave It to the Theater Kids. Yeah, he was the he was the one that that first introduced me to it. I didn't use it on the regular until I started dating uh, a woman named Beth. She was the one that really got me into it. And I did not even have the common decency to say thank you. You were probably all scared the first time you went Petrified. and bought a, bought a little Petrified. spoon from the head shop. The first, <laughs> the first time I purchased, I drove home five miles under the speed limit, hands at 10 and 2. And you probably didn't have nothing but a couple sweating. of grams. Sweating, <laughs> and it was probably ditch too, you know. Anyway, uh, Molly McCann, Doctor Molly McCann, uh, was on Opus Eighty, and, th and there's a little uh, Christmas ornament there that was oh, yeah. back yeah, in yeah. Uh, December. Anyway, so if you didn't uh, uh, check her out, uh, go listen uh, to her interview. Really incredible stuff. But she sent me some cannabis statistics today in honor of 420. Shout out to uh, Molly for doing that. And one of them was that from the year 2009 to the year 2019, recreation cannabis use among
among adults doubled to about 13% now. I think it's a little bit more than, I think it's much more actually than 13% of people that use it regularly, recreationally, but even that aside, that statistic doubling is is something. In your years of cannabis use, you know, from those early days of just being petrified because you have a little eighth in the trunk, you probably put it in the trunk, didn't you? <laughs> a little eighth. <laughs> underneath the underneath the blanket. Right. Since those days, do you see a broader acceptance of of cannabis and cannabis use? The 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 bigger majority of the people that I know do use it than mm-hmm. don't. It's it's far greater. And among brewers, I don't know of one brewer that doesn't smoke some weed. All the all the brewers are smoking. Well, I'm 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 saying they use well, it. Yeah. I'm not saying they're walking <laughs> sure. around basted all the time. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. And right. you know, there are there are some out there who have made uh, cannabis infused brews. Yeah. You can you know I I don't know if I want to have just you know one beverage and then be <laughs> blitzed. Yeah. You know I'd rather spread it out. And that's another thing about um, uh, I guess being older and using cannabis. You you don't. The way that I use it is to just turn down the anxiety, get ready for sleep, maybe loosen up the creative juices when I'm going to yeah. play some music, something like that. I don't want to be Cheech and Chong high. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want that. That's you know, it's like being old, uber drunk. You know, I don't want that right. either. You know? Right, right. Just take the take the edge off a yeah, little man. bit. Some of the um, norms that we have tied around cannabis. I think deserve a, a second look when it comes to again so-called classical music and 420. There are certain pieces of music that I usually go to. There's this um, hashish symphony that's subtitled Oriental Fantasy by this Russian composer named Lyapunov. Of course, we have all of the Oriental music by Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov, Shahrazad, and that sort of thing. And I'm using that word right now intentionally because in the history of Western European classical music. Music. That word Oriental or Orientalism really referred to the Middle East. Yeah, That's yeah. what they were talking about. And from the Instagram account Protestra, at Protestra, shout out to them. I'll put a link in the description. They brought something up uh, to that, that I thought was interesting. I'm going to read this post from Instagram. It says, many of the most frequently performed pieces in the classical repertoire are rooted in the Western artistic movements of Orientalism and exoticism. These movements cause harm through appropriation and hurtful stereotypes that are still perpetuated to this day. This particularly applies to representations of Asian, Middle Eastern, and North African stories and musical idioms contained in works written by white European composers. Mm. So when I read that, I decided to take a step back and rethink my approach to connecting certain pieces of orchestral music to 420 because most of those pieces of music are from these exoticist movements in Western classical music. Mm. Now, additionally, when we talk about connecting, you know, certain sounds and reducing an entire culture to that sound, I thought about reggae. And 420. What do you think about the relationship between cannabis and reggae? First off, let me ask you a question on this post. Sure, sure. So I don't know if I would have necessarily made that connection with Scheherazade. What did it for you? 
Uh, for me, I think about the idea of this harem room and, you know, Scheherazade and the Sultan with all of these curtains and things hanging. And, and big hookah. And a, right. A part of that is the hookah for me, like in, in my mind, in my imagination. Wouldn't that have been opium? It could have been a little bit of weed. It could have been. He, the, the Sultan has access to it all. He he didn't have that loud, you know. Well, he had some. I'm just I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, and in regard to, I, I was thinking about this for the last uh, several minutes since we talked about it earlier. Um, is it possible to take reggae and cannabis and separate them? And man, I just don't know because being raised on that. With that idea, mm-hmm. um, I, that man, that would be one of the hardest things to try to unlearn, wouldn't it? Years ago, I was on YouTube, and I don't know how I got here. Maybe I was living in the Bahamas at that point. I made it to a YouTube video of one of those um, white boy backpackers. Shout out to the backpackers, no shade, but that that this is who he was. You know, had the had the white boy dreadlocks and all that. You know the type. I do. Um, made a YouTube video about his travels to Jamaica, and all he talked about was cannabis. Yeah, this was when I was in the Bahamas because I was thinking, well, what if I could just jumped over to the next island for a couple uh, days for the weekend? And mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get information. I come on this video, and everything is talking about how high he was the whole time, and it just irritated me to no end because I want to know about the food. I want to know about the dance. I want to know about the nightlife. I want to I know about the culture, you know, and there is more to this culture than that. So between uh, being reminded about you know Western classical music exoticism and Orientalism, thinking about how uh, you know folks will go to Jamaica trying to appropriate that culture and just tying it all to weed. I mm. I, I don't know. I mm. I thought it was something at least to think about and consider for this 420 holiday. It, it's important to remember because not every one of his songs is wrapped up in cannabis either. And it's also important, I think, to remember that there are folks in Jamaica that are composers in that so-called classical sense. I'm thinking about uh, Peter Ashbourne, who uh, I was introduced to through Christine Gangelhoff. Shout out to her. You know, she uh, has that piece on the Seaforce album, uh, Elena and Her Variations, you know, based on a Jamaican folk song. So there is that sort of music there. Mm. And... I can't help but to consider Bob Marley, you know, I'm not even going to say their version of insert famous European composer here. Bob Marley is Jamaica, Mm -hmm. you know, his Mm -hmm. his music, his aesthetic, everything he did, you know, really constitutes a classical culture, a classical music in Jamaica, as far as I'm concerned. Now, Mm -hmm. yes, cannabis is a part of that. I am always going to challenge reducing any culture, certainly Jamaican culture, down to one thing, in their case, cannabis. But, you know, there is no, there is no 420 holiday without Bob Marley. That, that, that all, uh, within Fair. everything we're talking about, that also has to be acknowledged. Is there a, a Bob Marley? What, what's your Bob Marley go-to? Well, like I was telling you, not every single track that he has is rooted in cannabis right and i would turn to redemption song um that's a a a revolution song even though it's a little bit subdued right Mm -hmm. that's for at night you know after after all the the big rousing stuff you know this is settling you down so you can be ready to revolt the next day right like a good indica (laughs) all pirates yes they rob i 
Sold right to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation I have to say my favorite uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers, you know, shout out to the Whalers, of course, is the tune Stir It Up because, first of all, it starts with that backbeat and I remember the very first time I heard it when the uh, rest of the tune came in I had to flip my internal clock because what I heard as the on beat was actually the, the right, backbeat right. and then of course you know the bright just very um, sunny colorful aesthetic of the music is one of those things that has gotten me out of so many bad moods out of so many defeated moods i used to talk to you about my post overnight shift walks like at 6 30 in the morning i'm just walking a few miles just to get it all out and on every walk that tune was made it through the playlist just a, a great way to just wash it all off way back in the day when i was doing uh mobile dj stuff i was on my way to Dell rapids south dakota and feeling bad about myself for whatever reason bob marley live is on my cassette deck and in No Woman, No Cry, you get to that point where he sings, everything's going to be all right. And I started to feel that way. Like, come on, man. Everything's going everything's to be all right. See, now, go and, ahead. Go and, ahead. You know, and you know what happened? As soon as I got to feeling better, uh, my, I threw a rod in the engine and a piston shot out <laughs> through the side of the engine. <laughs> and I'm stranded in the middle of nowhere trying to get to a dance in Del Rapids, South Dakota. Yeah, I think but everything was all well, yeah, right. Yeah, I think you've told me that story. See, you're getting me in my bag now. Okay, so <laughs> we're, we're about to transition into movement too, but to that song, let me tell you. Maybe I've told this story on Triloquy before. It was maybe a Thursday in Knoxville, and on Monday, like Del and I had to start packing and, and, and moving and, and doing all that. Where, no, this was a Saturday morning, as a matter of fact. Saturday morning, the next Saturday, by the next Saturday, we would be here in mm, Minnesota. Wow. So, so it was it was the cuss. So we're sitting on the couch Saturday morning, probably smoking some weed. And uh, we have on some music videos. And they show the music video of No Woman, No Cry. But the remix, I think it was with Ziggy um, when he collaborated with Lauren Hill and them mm, with... Mm -hmm. uh, what, what oh, I'm I'm blanking right now. See how the weed does. What was the What was her group? The Fugees. The Fugees. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, so that version. And as soon as they got to the everything's gonna be all right. That is when I felt a little bit of nervousness for the first time. Just thinking wow. about. I think what I told Adele was, look, in the next week things are gonna get really weird. Like we're both gonna pack up all of this shit and go to a state that we have never heard before, and I'll live happily ever after in my new job, right? Mm. <laughs> Everything's anyway, going to be all right. Here's a little, and, and, and it has been. So here's a little bit of that to get us into the second one. We've shouted out Molly McCann. I have to go back once again 
into the Triloquy alum, bring folks back to Opus 51, the season two premiere, I believe that was, mm -hmm. that featured Chicago-based composer Adrian Dunn. Adrian Dunn and his Rise Orchestra have uh, put out an album that's on all the DSPs, and I wanted to talk about one of those tunes today. It's called Peach Lemonade. First of all, I let you hear it a little earlier. It's I know it's, as a guitarist, you know, uh, and, and and side note, quick side note, this is also International Guitar Month. So, it is. So happy, happy that. Um, <laughs> uh, it's so this tune, Peach Lemonade. It starts with this guitar solo that just first of all gets you into that perfect weed mood. You like that? That is just you know a, a great start. And then as the orchestra comes in you get more of that fullness and that lushness and then he tops it all off with this really cool 've been listening to that tune over and over again as I'm putting together our little 420 playlist I, uh, I I just think it's a perfect fit and I think it's perfectly classical as well now obviously a lot of a lot of the people a lot of the program directors a lot of a lot of those folks are not going to be comfortable with that sound despite the fact that all it is is guitar and orchestra and and a little a little old nut and drum machine. Mm -hmm. What is your argument for that sort of music as the next step in classical programming? Well, that that's it. It's it's the next step. It's the next step, right? But, but do you uh, do, do you have any thoughts as to how to get there? How to convince the program director that here's that beat machine and here's rap? You know, even though it's not that, you know, this is orchestral music. How do you convince them that that is an instrument where we're talking about contemporary music? Have you have you thought much about no. buying for or arguing for that sort of, of sound on classical radio? No, I haven't. Mo most of what I have experienced pushing for is more living composers trying to create that platform that the the new let's call it the new pipeline mm -hmm. for composers to get their work heard um i was advocating for let's let's get rid of the the minor 400 year old composers let's get rid of the gemignani the corelli you know if we if we are going to play baroque let's make it a banger yep <laughs> uh that, that everybody knows and you know everybody can get behind or something like that and save some new space for um, the the living composers and such, you know, just like just like this this piece here. I'm sorry, what was the title of that one? Peach lemonade. Peach even, lemonade. Even the title is delicious. Yeah. So um, I'm not saying there is no space for it. I'm saying that what I know of music directors and program directors, if they were going to include that, it would be judicious. It would be uh, they probably think pretty hard about where they would introduce that. And you know, and my thought, my thought would be like late night, overnight. I've I've spent hours and hours 
uh, on the phone with Adrian talking about so many different things. There's another tune uh, I, I want to mention. There's another tune on this album called Ride On, and it speaks to, you know, the black tradition of gospel and that uh, relationship with Jesus. And uh, Adrian has told me when he tries to get that piece on certain programs and in front of certain uh, classical music directors, the complaint is that it's too churchy, it's too religious for classical radio. But what do we do all December, but talk about Enoch Chelsea's Deo and all, all of this other religious yeah, we, stuff, but it just happens to be in Latin, right? There's room for Orlando Gibbons. So. Right, 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 <laughs> right. So I've, here's a little bit of ride on. This is the, I, I, you know, I often uh, joke with my mom. I say, Jesus had to have smoked a little weed. And that, <laughs> that upsets her sometimes. <laughs> but it, it, anyway, all of those jokes aside, I also want to share um, a little bit of Ride On uh, from this album because we all, in addition to getting used to like the beat machine, the, the 808 and that sort of thing, I think we also need to get used to a black center perspective on the intersection of religion and music because we've always allowed religion and all and Jesus into classical spaces when we talk about the Messiah and and other things um but it's time to just allow the blackness of that in there so here's a little bit of ride on from this album featuring Adrian Dunn and the Rise Orchestra ride on Jesus of justice Ride on, Jesus of peace. Ride on, because we need you to set the captives free. Ride on, Jesus of justice. Ride on, Jesus of peace. Ride on, because we need you to set the captives free. Ride on. It's interesting that you bring up Opus 51 because the playlist from Opus 51 featured a piece by Joel Thompson, Seven Last Words of the Unarmed. And I wanted to talk about, uh, this has to be a, a new composition from him because there's only two recordings and it seems like cell phone recordings mm -hmm. on YouTube that I've been able to find for a piece called In Response to the Madness. And I have to take my cap off for the Minnesota Orchestra. They made a late addition of uh, that piece onto their program from last Friday night. Uh, another friend of the podcast, Sam Bergman, a violist, was one of the musicians that played it. And I was not able to hear it because I was on the air, but I went back and listened to it later on. And I have to... It's an allegory for the way things are right now. It is not a comfortable piece to listen to. And that fits in with Joel's statement about the piece that I'd like to read a little bit from. Uh, it said the 
he said, I only made one rule for myself. Each time before sitting down to compose this piece, I had to ingest all the major news stories of the day. And the result of this experiment in compositional process is a stream of consciousness response to the political mayhem, the massacres, the climate, and our seemingly futile attempts to try to make things better. So I hear that in in the music. And every once in a while, we were talking about how I, I said, now listen to this bit here, how, how it gets a little bit lyrical. It gets to that part where, you know, maybe you let your shoulders drop. It's not yeah. so intense, right? But those moments don't last. And isn't that making a statement on the way that things are? Even the moments of, of uh, release are fleeting. The moments where you find some beauty or that you get to laugh are fleeting. And man, Joelle, I feel that too. And let's, you know, in my high mind here, uh, let, let, let's step back even further. Those lyrical moments in the piece being those fleeting moments of peace, it seems like the larger allegory is that the only uh, remedy is pushing through those hard moments as, as the musicians push through the piece yeah. until it's all over, right. until it's all silence, whatever, however we want to define that. That can be very dark. Or that can be very freeing, you know, silence being that thing that, you know, last week we have the, the, no, the I shouldn't say noise, but the, the sounds of protest, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. I clu- included um, in the opus, you know, silence as a privilege, silence as something to, to aspire to, you know, what would it look like if the news story was silent for a day? Nobody got killed. Nothing, nothing bad happened. It's just silence. That would be something incredible. Wouldn't it? A lot of feel-good stories, a lot yeah. of filler. Yeah, a lot of and and local news is so cringy, but it would it would <laughs> water be ski, water skiing squirrels. <laughs> but right, exactly. No, but 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 that would be phenomenal. You know, if that sort of proverbial silence were were something that we could actually experience. So, yeah, thank you for bringing this in. Here's a little bit um, of this. What, what, you you said there was uh, you couldn't find many recordings of it. What what recording are we sharing with people here, just so that we make sure we give the proper credit where it's due. Sure. I have found two of them and uh, they were they were posted like almost a year apart and as I look at them now I think it might be two posts of the same <laughs> track. But basically it was uh, from the Grant Park Music Festival. And I'm a little bit surprised that on this particular one, there's only 378 views. So let's change that. Go over and listen to Joel Thompson in response to the madness. I mentioned to you, Scott, a few weeks back, uh, I was on a panel with Joel Thompson, and one of the things yeah. that he said concerning Seven Last Words of the Unarmed was that if he knew that's what people would do with that piece, he would have written another piece. And of course, that tends to be the only thing that folks know of Joel Thompson. So it's great to have 
um, another piece of music that we can really try to lift up into the ether and really center and and uh, and celebrate from his uh, catalogs. So, yeah. What what would you come up with if before every time you sat down to write or to play or to compose? was to read the headlines. It would be a lot. It would be a lot. Right? It would be a lot. So that, that that's why Joel Thompson should be celebrated even more because I can't imagine the hundreds of people that just want to hear him pimp out his pain yeah. for, for their podcast, for their news story, for their whatever. So yeah. huge shout out to um, Joel Thompson. Uh, today's guest, as we get into the third movement here, um, L.A. Khalil. So let me tell you a little about uh, uh, L.A. Khalil, Scott. As I got more involved in the Joe Button podcast community and really uh, consuming that content, I met other fans and, you know, there were connections there. And uh, this kid who goes by L.A. Khalil was one of them. After um, listening to a bit of Triloquy, he was inspired to start his own podcast. He had me on cool. the show a, cool. a few weeks ago. Yeah, he's, I listened to that. Yeah, he's a, a, a really a bright entrepreneur, one of those Gen Z people who who um, is trying a little bit of everything and and uh, making his way along the way. So again, as I mentioned earlier, in the spirit of really talking to the streets and and getting in on Gen Z and figuring out um, sort of strategy, strategies that can be used to spread so-called classical music to the next generation, in the spirit of all of that, mm-hmm. I invited him on the show to talk about a few things. So uh, we listen to a few sound samples. We talk about what content means to him and... Um, he gives some insight to all of the artistic directors and people in power who are listening. So I hope that you uh, <laughs> stick around for that. One of the pieces that I introduced to Khalil to listen to and we sort of talk about was a ballet score by William Grant Still called Saji. Long story short, um, it's a ballet about um, an African uh, woman whose husband goes to battle. She falls in love with someone else and, and they both portray the chief, you know, who was off to battle, uh, warriors bring the body of the chief back to the tribe, and uh, he, he died in battle, and custom says that the wife of the chief has to ceremoniously kill herself if, if the chief dies in battle, so she's stuck between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, of uh, doing what's right, following her tribe, or maintaining the love that she she garnered so i'll 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 let y'all do the research and the listening but um here's a little bit from that ballet saji uh the the very ruckus ending of it here to get us into my conversation with la khalil If you're cool, you're cool. You don't have to be people. You don't have to have people vouch for you being cool. If if you're real, you're real. And these guys are real, you know. And not only are they real about who they are and what they, you know, how they say and what they say. You know, they they are just. I mean, Joe Budden specifically. You know, I I listen to him music wise, and we've had similar you know experiences growing up and everything. And being able to relate, I think relatability is a big one, you know, and the opportunity not just to be entertained at a podcast, but to walk away 
learning something from a podcast or from a radio interview or show, whether the case may be, but specifically podcasts, that is that is very, very positive for me. You know, I don't just want to listen to jokes. I want to like, I want to know how you feel about this. I want to know, Joe, how you feel about this? Or Worry, or Ice, Small, Ish. Like, I want to be able to learn about these guys. Definitely with them being in, or Joe and, you know, Worry, Parks, definitely Parks. Being in the music industry, I can, I've, I've learned so many things about Parks, from Parks and about Parks, ever since he really became a consistent presence on the show. Yeah. It's like... I would, I would, I want, I mean, I'm not the only one, but you see it online, like, Park, you should make a podcast. I would listen to you all the time, like, all the time, all day, just because he he's just so much knowledgeable and, I have to say, politically correct. He's more technical with the things he say and how he goes about it, where it's just so inviting and, like, music to my ears, you know, but it being a podcast. Well, then let me ask you this. When it comes to content beyond other podcasts or maybe even content beyond podcasts, is that learning something, that getting perspective, what you look for across the board, maybe even in, in, in music, for example, doing more than just entertaining, but teaching you something, giving you a perspective? Yeah, it's it's definitely something I... I don't like, okay, if you're not teaching me anything, I'm not going to mess with you. It's, it's definitely not like that. That's but interesting I because, appreciate it. well, I think a lot of people would assume that younger folks are interested in learning anything, <laughs> if, I, if I could just say that. Well, with me, I think because I've spent so much time, I, yeah, I contribute being, being raised in the South, Mobile, Alabama, um, living with, you know, my grandparents, you know, my grandmother, my aunts, just a lot of you know, women, family members, you know, I had to learn how to, I learned, I learned, I was able to learn more, you know, how to respect women, how to, you know, how to be respectful of other people, how to, you know, how to talk to people, how to, yes, ma'am, no, sir, Mm -hmm. no, ma'am, like, you know, being in the South, you had to respect your elders, you know, you had to be, you had to greet, you had to just learn, even if you didn't want to, going to church, learning about different things you didn't want to. You know, I noticed over here, you know, it's whatever. All right, cool. In you know, talking to older people, you know, it's no it's no more opening the doors and thank you. It's opening the doors and, duh, you should have done that, you know? And so with me being raised by a lot of older people and a lot of knowledgeable people, you know, grateful for them being family, it, it just, it inspires me to learn to want to learn, to ask questions. The teachers that I had, you know, I contribute a lot of it to a lot of great teachers I had in high school, Coach Collier, Coach Hedge, like a lot of people that, in hey, ask as many questions. We can talk after class. We can come to my class before class. Like, I've, I've always, I have such a, a burning desire to know and to learn as much. It, it kind of ruins sometimes. It kind of ruins things because, you know, like, Sometimes they're like, it's a surprise, a surprise. Don't, I don't want that. I want to know. Like, I'm not, you know, like sometimes I will, I will watch it, you know, you know, in game or in a big, you know, big movie. Like, I don't mind being spoiled. I want to know. If I want to know, I'm, I'm, I want to know. Or if it's a game coming out, I'll watch it. I'll watch someone else play it. It's, it somehow is not going to ruin my enjoyment already knowing. It's just the, proce- the process the of learning, the process of, 
of uh of yeah. consuming that sort of content I, I wonder you know what your earliest mem- you talk about being raised in the south and you know learning the yes ma'ams and no sirs and all that stuff i wonder what your earliest memories are of music and and what sort of formed your musical tastes today my only my early forms of music um i i credit my my mother and my dad with music because of the differences of, between them you know, my the first first artist I ever listened to, I have no shame in in even talking about it was Avril Lavigne. You know, I I remember growing up listening to Avril Lavigne for so many, you know, so many so many years. You know, I had the same CD. It was it was just like wow, like a rock. Now you know she a rock star from but kind of punk Canada, at the same time, yeah, and very emotional. You know, like just very emotional and. It was Avril Lavigne, it was Ashanti, Keisha Cole, you know. I remember when I walked out, like, I, I like, <laughs> I remember, like, a lot of my early days of just listening to a lot of female musicians. Mary J. Blige was, is another one. Just, a, it was so many, you know, being a kid and not having a phone and not having an iPod, just listening to the radio you don't really remember the names like, oh, this is a strong team playing her new hit record. And like, you don't really remember the names. So it's so many mu- so much music and so many songs I attached myself to. And I never was able to, you know, I never asked who this was. I could never remember who it was. And now having, you know, my own phone, of course, and just exploring back like, oh, I remember this, you know, and I credit my mother's side to Avril Lavigne and and rock and roll or, you know, that type, you know, country type of music. My dad, you know, my dad is just, you know, Ghostface Killer, you know, um, okay. Wu-Tang Clan, you know, Tony Starks, you know, he he was a big fan of Wu-Tang Clan. And I love, I love Wu-Tang, especially Ghostface. I listen to Fish Scale constantly, you know, and just, you know, just rap, rap in general. You know, he gave me... Um, he just introduced me to Lil Bow Wow. I was a big Lil Bow Wow fan at the time, as a kid, you know. Like Mike, like Mike, like I was a big Bow Wow fan. Bow Wow, um, obviously, like, yay. He's not a really big uh, Drake fan, but I guess in spite of him not being a Drake fan, I became a Drake fan. And so he's not <laughs> the biggest of Drake's fans. But I do credit my my mother giving me, like, the rock and punk and type of music and my dad like hip hop and rap for sure. So I'm glad you mentioned, I really appreciate that. I, I'm glad you mentioned Drake because um, we're actually going to start around there. So uh, one of the reasons why uh, I wanted to talk to you and have you on the show was to get your perspective on uh, some pieces of music. So in, in my line of work, you know, in, in what we call classical music, there's this big effort to bring in a younger audience, you know, to get the younger opinion, see what younger folks like. So I brought in a few examples of a few things that um, I wanted your opinion on. So we're going to start with a little Drake. So a few years ago, back in 2017, the Nashville Symphony took music by a Russian composer named Peter Tchaikovsky and uh, fused it with lyrics by Drake for some sort of like spoken word sort of thing. So I'm going to play a little bit of this for you. And uh, after we listen okay. to it, I just want your um, your response. Does, does that sound okay? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Yes, sir. 
legacy and my family have it all Took the place of that desire for diplomas on the wall I'm really like who I'm becoming There's times where I might do it just to do it like it's nothing There's times where I might blow like 50k on a vacation For all my soldiers just to see the look on all their faces All it took was patience I got a lot of friends who come up off the strip for me The same ones that'll come up off the hip for me The realest ones say your lyrics do this for me I told Lyrics from Crew Love on mm -hmm. top of some Tchaikovsky. Well, what, what's your reaction to that sort of fusion? Is, is that something that you find interesting or engaging, that sort of idea? I do find it definitely interesting and engaging because it's a fusion of two different worlds. You know, it's Marvel and DC coming together. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's, you know, classical and hip hop going together. And it's not about if... I like classical or if I don't like hip hop, it's if it's done right. And if, and if it's done right and within good intentions, um, I, I, I've definitely take, taken to listening to it and I most likely will enjoy it. Definitely if it's Drake being involved. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like the, I like it just starting off with classical and then, you know, it and being built in or the spoken word then come in, not like it being rushed together and just put together. It was, it was a sign you know, a science to it. It's a science to making music for sure. You know, production wise, lyrics, all that is a science. I, I, I would definitely listen to it. You know, I, I don't, I don't listen to classical music often, but when I do, like listen to classical, listen to jazz. I feel, I feel at peace. You know, okay. I just feel peaceful. I feel like the wind can just blow inside of me. It's just cool, peaceful, calm. I feel calm. You know, and I definitely, I definitely enjoy listening to that type of music with someone else because okay. if I feel calm and collected, I feel, I feel good and peaceful. I'm sure the other person's going to as well. All right. Well, well, well. Let me offer um, another example here. So instead of doing the classical with the hip hop fusion, we're going to go straight classical. So this is a little ballet music by um, a black composer whose name was William Grant Still. The uh, ballet is called Saji. So we'll listen to a little bit of this and I want to uh, see what you see what you think of it. So just a little, just a little sample there. When you listen to that, what sort of uh, images come to your mind? What, what what sort of came to your mind as you were listening to that? Um, what came to my mind, I think, before I could say what come came to my mind, I had to describe listening to that. Um, really excluding the vocals, I, I the the calm before the storm, I would say. Hmm. So when I typically when I I do listen to I do hear that sound, 
it's before a fight or a battle. <laughs> no, it's, it's before yeah. two large size. I was thinking of Avengers Endgame, you know, when the big three are confronting Thanos, like before before the end game starts, before the final battle starts, just building it, anticipation. You can hear it with the drums and the beat pattern and things of that. And it was it gives you like, okay, when is it gonna come? When is when is the rest, you know, the final final piece gonna come to play? And I do I do like that. Like I do like how music can it, like in movies or in TV shows, you know, I think we talked about Euphoria. The mm-hmm. perfect soundtrack can make the show ten times better. Placement of the sh- you know, placement of the song, how how fast, how loud, you know, having music like that that you played though, you know, I definitely enjoy when it's placed in like entertainment properly. You know, so is the so is the music enough on its own, or do you think it could be even more engaging if the music is placed with dance, if it's placed with animation, some sort of movie or or something like that? I think, I mean, it, obviously it has you know, a, like hip hop or pop or punk. It has its community, so I do think it can hold on its own. I think nowadays you know like back to logging on tiktok where you see the when people are dancing they're con- they're fusing michael jackson with this with this part this snippet of the song with this one and making it just you know making it popular so i feel like if you want to make it pop you know to mainstream audience um i really wouldn't want to say but i feel like unfortunately i feel like you have to attach yourself to something that is popping or trending now to get to the level that you're looking for of, you know, mainstream or, you know, acknowledgement to people. Yeah. But I, I mean, definitely well, think and, it can hold on its own. And you, you don't have to say, unfortunately, I mean, you know, your, your, your honest opinion, and I'll agree that a visual often, you know, offers so much more and makes a piece of music uh, come to life. I got, mm-hmm. I got one more for you. So you're probably a little young to know or remember the name black rob or do you oh yeah i've um credit to the um, jpp joe button specifically so that he, podcast is how you learned about this artist learn about black rob he's played um black rob a few times and there's a song where i i don't know the name of it but i i do enjoy it um it, it well, well let, let, let's see if this one uh sounds familiar so what this is and uh for folks listening this comes from the instagram of amanda seals incredible uh celebrity actor uh spokeswoman out there uh she uh posted this fusion of of uh, a classical a western classical composition with the track with the beat of what i think is black rob's most famous uh piece of music so we're going to listen to a little bit of this and i'll get your reaction
So just a little bit of that sample there. So let me ask you this. You could have kept would that you, playing. That was hard. <laughs> would you? Oh, that, okay. So you like that? So that and you you live in Los Angeles. You know Disney Hall downtown uh, Los Angeles. Right. Would you go? Would you go put on some clothes and go sit in that concert hall if you knew that was the type of music that you would get to experience? We know. That, I know that we've talked about how a visual can um, can just heighten the experience of that sort of music. Would that musical aesthetic alone, just going and sitting down in a seat? And watching an orchestra do that be enough to engage you to be able to uh, be enough to get you to buy a ticket and, and to go see this yes it would um i like when i when i can see someone just on you know displaying their greatness uh definitely music wise or you know whether it be rapping or the instrument vocally i i would like to support it i would you know it doesn't matter what what they look like who they identify as them to be it doesn't matter none of that. Like I, I want to be able to support and go show out for someone that is putting their greatness on display for a lot of people to see. And to me, it's, you know, I would definitely go just on the strength of trying something new, seeing if I like it personally, seeing if I would come back. And, you know, chances are I would, because actually I, I live actually downtown. I live like really 10 minutes away from Disney Hall. Every time I go mm -hmm. on my maps, it's like right there. And I would, you know, to me, it is about not just about me because, you know, I go to the movies by myself, you know, I, and I enjoy that. You know, I would like to go to Disney Hall with someone to share that same experience because music, there's, there's feelings behind it. There's emotions behind it. There's thought behind it. And I think it's it's magical, definitely as magical as Disney is and their productions. You know, it's great to be able to enjoy it for yourself, but it's a whole different feeling enjoying it with someone else. You know, and I yeah, definitely yeah. would like to go go to Disney Hall and listen to. It doesn't even have to be that type of fusion, or it could be whatever the, that is on you know, marquee for tonight. I would yeah. definitely. It, it doesn't even matter to me about what's being played. But I would like to go with someone that is knowledgeable of what's happening, just so I can ask questions. If I saw, so, I can uh, learn about it. So, so that's a so that's a good point. So, do you think there's a barrier when it, you talk about going to the movies by yourself, not necessarily wanting to go see the orchestra by yourself? Let's say one of the homies comes, but he he or she doesn't know much about that sort of music either. Do you 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 feel like a key ingredient is being there with someone who can ask those questions, who can bridge the gap? Is that is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, I would definitely. Like if if you were saying, yo, I'm gonna fly to LA for this, I'm like, hey, you wanna come? I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna come because I know that's your in that's your realm that is beyond me and my understandings. And I know I'm definitely going to to learn a lot, you know. And I'm definitely gonna ask questions to the animations or whatnot. And it doesn't even have to be like if I didn't know and I don't, and then a friend of mine that doesn't know anything about it. It would definitely be even cooler because you're talking about two people that have no experience, no knowledge of it, but still going out, experiencing it. And then, I mean, who's not to say, wow, that's that was cool. I would like to come back or, you know what, I'm going to look it up and look who's the famous composers and where this song was and just going about it ourselves and learning about it, you know, through YouTube or Gary McQueen or whoever we can find, you know, and so it's definitely it would definitely be an opportunity to learn more, you know, and enjoy it. So 
you have the ears right now of a number of artistic directors, program directors, all these folks in these classical music institutions that decide what goes on the stage, that decide what sorts of sounds go out there. What are your words to those people concerning getting Gen Z, getting folks like you, getting content creators into those seats to hear these orchestras? What advice do you have to them to engage you and people like you? I mean, advice, I would just, I mean, just go about it how how you feel like you should. Don't don't feel like you have to you have to put on the 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 Migos or the Drake just to get us in the seat. Because that's what I need though. I need to go see me I mean Migos with the I mean, orchestra, that would be dope. That would be <laughs> I mean that would be, but you know, a lot of people they they false advertise. Don't don't be like, you know, don't give us a sample with Drake just not for Drake to be on stage. You know, like go about it how you feel like you should. I feel like I would rather have 10 people, you know, 10 off the street, just solid. I want to be there. I want to go 10 people versus 100 people that just, oh, I was expecting to see so-and-so or I was expecting to see this. Or I was, I was told I was, you know, I was guaranteed that this person would show up. Like, don't don't feel like you have to, you know, do things that are just out of the integrity of music and don't pander, I think is what I hear you say. Yeah, don't pander. I don't I don't think pandering is necessary. Sometimes it's it, it's cute or whatever, like pandering to women, as Joe has been saying, you know. <laughs> it, sometimes it's necessary, like politicians pander and all of that, sure. but don't t- don't take it to an extreme. You know what I mean? Like I feel like people are going to enjoy it regardless. You know, I would say just with Gen Z, it, it I think it's about how you go about advertising it if you were to put it on tiktok people are going to see if you put it on Facebook, oh people on facebook but if you put it on okay, social media okay. <laughs> you know if you put it on social media or like youtube and advertising you know the youtube ads i feel like more people would be inclined to seeing instead of you know the you know, the yellow papers or you know the phone book or something like that wherever we get <laughs> the classical phone book, really <laughs> wherever wherever we get classical music advertisements at but I feel like if you use the 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 platform that we have with what you're trying to put out you will get a a, a big audience on that you will get a lot of reach and pull you know because every day TikTok there's a different challenge. I mean, why can't we not start the classical music challenge where we do find a class, a famous classical song or a classical piece, and then we fuse it, our, find a song that we like, and we feature it ourselves, or we do a dance to it, or something like that. Like, if you get people, if you get people engaged, like you know, yeah, like a, if Disney Hall was like, we want to see how you would do this if you give us the opportunity to go do something of ourselves some in some form of a challenge or something to get us like oh damn i see this person posted that theirs tight but mine's not that good i need to i want to i need to step my game up i want to try even harder you know if you give us something to do i think that's the biggest thing definitely with covid is like getting us up and off of our phone but up and on our phone, you know, doing the dances and stuff, because I see a lot of people, a lot of girls, they'd be like, 
man, please go out and show love because it took hours to get this dance down. I'm like, okay, I'm going to show love because it takes time to learn those routines and stuff. <laughs> you know, it, t- it took me yeah, a while to yeah. learn Tuesday slide, you know, like, it's time. <laughs> but if you give us something to do, a challenge or an activity, I think that would definitely go a long way. However so, you come with it, you know. So what do you have coming down the pipeline? When I hear you say things like, you know, don't pander, stay genuine to your own thing, do it the way you want to do it. And if, if it's genuine, people will come. It sounds like to me, that's how you uh, approach your content. Well, what sort of things are you working on these days? Well, what's coming down the pipeline? And definitely, I think the, the 2021 version of don't pander is don't, Cloud chase. Don't cloud right, chase. Don't right, be a right. cloud chaser. And I think that's a big one. Like, don't cloud chase because when you like boot gang and some of these rappers, they do this or they have this persona, like you gotta up the ante for the next video or the next song or the next post. You gotta do more previously than previously. And it that gets exhausting. That gets frustrating. And that gets that gets you on a lot of bad people's you know, radar that gets a lot of targets on your back. So definitely sure. don't don't click, uh, don't cloud chase and clickbait. For me, um, yesterday, not yesterday. Wow, last Saturday, um, I did a photo shoot. I did a photo shoot from. I did a photo shoot in Boyle Heights, and it was like about three or four hours long, four hours long, and it was my first ever photo shoot. You know, we had a makeup artist Carlos, we had photographer Steven. My manager, Jafar, he set the whole thing up and introduced to me some amazing people. And it it was fun. Most most importantly, it was fun. But it gave me the first, it gave me an opportunity to do something that I've been interested in, and that's modeling. You know, I off rip, I had to do, I had to, I had to take my shirt off, I had to take pants off just for a certain for a certain fit or a certain look that we were doing. And I was I was exposed. You know, not all the way, but like I'm not I had to get out of my comfort zone is what I'm saying, like mm-hmm. to get to what I to fully, you know, do and enjoy what I wanted to do. And that was it was fun. It was a learning experience about myself. You know, it was it it was it was it was definitely something like, OK, this is it. People are giving me good advice. People are giving me good feedback, you know, not just things I want to hear, but, you know, honest truth. And people are saying they like my look. But then again. I wake up and I see my face and I'll be like, okay, who wouldn't like this look? So really just certain <laughs> things like, duh, you were supposed to say that, you know, I even know that. And, but it's just, it was fun. You know, I, I do enjoy modeling because, you know, wearing, wearing this beanie right here, um, a good friend of mine, Manar, um, it makes me sad just thinking about it, but you know, she, she's, um, she's, selling or uh discontinuing her brand because she's god god bless she's starting her own family and putting time to mm-hmm. you know raising her family and um, i'm happy for her and of course but i just love wearing this beanie you know and what it represents you know nike like whatever the agency or the the brand is i just love you know good brands and people of of color you know i know me and my size, my color, the beard that I have, and how it looks, I have an opportunity. I feel like I have an opportunity to continue um, trailblazing. You know, Rihanna, I love Rihanna, and she's 
you know, just seeing her Fenty look and seeing the mm-hmm. models that she has and just being so inclusive, not just on the sake of, oh, we're being inclusive and diverse. Ah, here's this. No, like she's taking it to the moon. She's taking it past and actually the hiring, area. you know, actors and uh, and models with different body types and different mm-hmm. heights and different skin tones and all that. And she's she's been the, she's been the one that's like she's given me that battery in my back. Like I can do this. Okay. Me being five five and a hundred and whatever pounds, sixty pounds or whatever. Like she's giving me like not just just do it and just just stay how you look. But like I'm in the gym constantly, just getting myself better, stronger, faster, so I can be better. You know, so I can so I can have more energy throughout the day, more stamina. And she's definitely been one. You know, I love Zendaya. You know, I, I watch Euphoria. I've been watching it over again and just seeing her, her look and everything. I've just been, I'm not even watching. I'm just studying it at this point. I'm just studying her work and her performances and how she reacts and her emotions because I love Zendaya. I mean, who doesn't, you know? And so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've been, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's so many that, you know, uh, you and, and you're right because Zendaya, you know, Rihanna, all of these people, they have what I've, came up uh, calling a portfolio style career. It's not just one thing, it's many things that come mm-hmm. together, just a, a diverse bit of experience. And right. I, I think that's the future. And, and you're definitely doing that, you know, as a podcaster, as an aspiring model, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you'll have some music coming one of these days, who right. knows, but right. um, at, but before we, uh, but before we wrap up here, how can folks learn more about you, support your work, uh, keep up with, with, with what you're doing? Uh, my my YouTube channel is the LA Khalil. I I have a few different types of videos that I put out. I mean, I've been you know I have the podcast, the LA Khalil podcast, and then I have the Love Always series. That that's that really was a really good thing, good thing for me because in the times of you know 2020 and 2021, LGBTQ plus that community, people of color, um, you know, um, foster care, you know, children without parents. Going for me to go out and find the information, okay, cool, I know about it. Okay, cool, I care about it. Okay, cool, we could talk about it on the phone or whatnot. But if if there's some way for me to take this information and put it to the screen for people to see, and for people to go and look at the website, for them to go to it, and we can, I can be a, a, a conversation starter, and not just a conversation starter, but inform people, then I would love to do that. And it took yeah. a lot of, it took a minute for me to find the right place to do that. I use Twitch to be able to connect the phone to it and everything. Great place to go do that type of thing. And I do a um, Into the Spotlight series where that's just more intimate, you know. I'm asking more in a in a ten to fifteen minute span, more intimate about how ment- how my mental health is doing, how is your mental health is doing, how is your week been doing, how is my week going. So not just for me to talk about what I am going through, but also want to know what you're going through, and not just to know what you're going through, but I want you to ask yourself, how is your mental health? How is how are you feeling emotionally? How is, how is your body? You know, you've been up all day working, going left and right, back and forth. Like, how are you feeling? And 
it's just it's just one of those things where I I want people to not only be better, but I need people to know that they can. I need people to feel that they can. You know, and I if I have to, I would love to be just someone that hey, look at me. I'm five five, uh, <laughs> hundred and something pounds. You know, humbly, I'm not I'm not sexiest man alive. And I would just say, look, if I can do this, and you know, I'm I'm accepting of who I am. You can do it, and you can do it better than me. You know, setting the example, setting the example. That's really great. Right. Khalil, um, I, I look forward to keeping up with all of your work and and uh, watching you just grow and and climb. I, I think you have some great things on the horizon. So congratulations on everything. But you you kind of mentioned it before. Uh, we'll we'll tie it back around here full circle. Um, we one of the many things that we share in common is a love for Drake and Drake's uh-huh. music. What well, what would be a a, a Drake tune uh, that you can throw out as our, our little outro here today? Oh wow. Um... A Drake tune, I would say. I, I, I would I would like to go with um Fire and Desire. I, I've been I've been going back to Views and Fire and Desire is that definitely one that I like to go back to. They throwing dirt on my old name. Only gets worse when you know things. You don't see the perks of this whole thing, but you get real on a pill and I like it. You just like my sidekick, I just wanna ride, fulfill all your desires Keep you in the front, never in the back, and never on the side You a real ass woman and I like it, I don't wanna fight it I think that's how it's done. I think maybe not just how it's done, but when it comes again to try to engage the next generation, you have to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. You have to talk mm-hmm. to them like people and not like experiments. So I hope I hope y'all got something out of that because as, as you heard, Generation Z is interest, there is interest, but there are certain things that arts institutions have to bend over to. I wanted to get your thoughts, Scott, um, when Khalil was no, talking about have to bend over to, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> okay, you you know I, what I mean. Uh, one of the bend things, over backwards, bend over backwards too. Sure, you, get your mind out of the gutter. Is You're it? the one that said it. <laughs> See, we, we we need to take the cannabis out of your hand, <laughs> dude. Anyway, um, one of the things that Khalil said was. The sound aesthetic is great. That's phenomenal. That has its community as everything does. A visual will help. Mm, yeah. We've, and I, when I say we, I mean the, uh, the, the institutions have experimented so many times with, you know, the movie at the orchestra or, or so many other things. Would it be so bad from your perspective, if that's just what the orchestral experience turned into, even if it is a Brahms symphony or a Beethoven symphony, doing it Fantasia style and having some visual for the audience to attach their imaginations to as they're listening to this music. Hey, Mm. even if they have a Mm. little 420 before the concert, that can make it even better. What do you think about that sort of show? So the laser orchestral shows? Is that Maybe it could be a laser orchestral show or, or, I mean, like, again, like Fantasia 
Frazier style, give some black creator or so, or some creator the opportunity to create an animation surrounding this piece of music, and we we have multimedia. Uh, happening at the concerts as a means of bringing in new audiences. I think that could be something. Actually, you're reminding me of a project that I started to work on but then left because I moved here. This was back in 2005 when it started. I was working with an artist who uh, was... All of his work was very flow-oriented. It was mm -hmm. a lot of swooping paint and almost like you know you could see a dance in sure. it being formed. And he and I were working on this project where he would work on an overhead projector, this outsized overhead projector that people would see on, you know, like maybe a 20 by 20 uh, white screen. Yeah. There would be dancers in the center starting to move and he would paint according to what they do. And then musicians that would start to play and be motivated by the dancers and the art. And so it became like a perpetual motion machine mm -hmm. of uh, dance, visual art, music, and even the artful use of cameras, the way that we were going to position things. I'm really sorry now that I talk about it that I was not able to be a part of that, that I was here instead of following up on that because that sounded like a really interesting project but as bob marley said everything was all right right it was <laughs> yeah um also but before we get into the triloquy i, I do want to mention of course rest in peace to the late great black rob uh quickly the first time so when you know weeks after i came home with the bassoon as a 12 year old my dad took some of the music that i uh, was listening to and then put some classical in as well. And I had this brand new burnt CD when burning a CD was, oh, yeah. you know, the thing. And, you know, I was so ignorant at the time, the pieces of music, the classical pieces of music weren't even titled. All, all that was on the tracks were the composer. So I had <laughs> Mozart, Brahms, whatever. And then as like the first five tracks and then like the sixth track, started with strings but of course it was this black rob whoa the song whoa right i remember that like it was yesterday and seeing the headlines about black rob transitioning of course is is sort of a, a pang you know you you feel that um but he's in a better place and and he left a mark he he was impactful what year was that when you were burning the CD? Do you have any idea? That, that probably would have been uh, 99 or 2000. Okay, so in the early 2000s, that track came up in The Sopranos, which was the first time I heard that, oh, the HBO really? series The Sopranos. Yeah. Right. Now, did you know that he was trying to crowdsource money for his medical costs? And that was, yes, and that was a whole conversation because I don't feel like any rapper should have to ever crowdsource anything when you have uh, Jay-Z's, when you have P. Diddy's, when mm -hmm. you have all of these people with millions, maybe even a billion dollars. No rapper should, no certainly no rapper who is as influential as Black Rob should be out here mm -hmm. looking for my twenty twenty five dollars when it's somebody who could foot the bill and more. Right. That's, I agree that's with all you. I'm saying. That's, that's what I was trying to say is it's a shame that people are out here trying to use GoFundMe so that they can live. But black it's capitalism isn't going to save us either. That's another conversation. Um, I was going to say, we're, let, we're already getting long here. Let's, let, well, I have something I want to um, talk to you about in the triloquy, but to get us there, let's hear from uh, 
let, let, let's hear from the person in question. You want to make the problem them. Takes the onus off the idea that you're wrong about policing not needing to change. And you know what the answer is? You really do. You don't like it. I don't like it. It scares me. Shootings, gun laws, access to weapons. Oh, you, I know when they'll change. Your kids start getting killed. White people's kids start getting killed. Pop, 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 pop. Cop was justified. Why'd you run? Oh, we had a baseball game tonight. Oh, the white kid. Oh, big family. That house over there. Those start piling up. That's when it changes. Because that's when it's you. So you heard it, Scott. Chris Cuomo from CNN, for folks who don't know, um, a seemingly hothead, <laughs> musclehead, um, one of their white anchors who does a lot of work in making sure that the people know that he is down. Mm-hmm. He is an anti-racist. Mm-hmm. He got on TV and said the only way things are going to change if it's the white kids start to get shot. Mm-hmm. React. You said that the uh, the internet was mad. <laughs> so... The, the people felt the, away. The people felt away about Chris Cuomo suggesting somebody getting hurt. I won't say, I won't even go as far as to say they got mad at him suggesting that white children would get hurt. They, I'll say they, they were uncomfortable with his suggesting that more people need to become victims for change to happen. I, I heard his point. What do you think? Well, he does have one. And... Um, that's that's it's really interesting how the messenger influences so much mm-hmm. because i can say something like change is years down the road right and it's kill the messenger but i follow people on twitter young black people who are friends of the podcast who have been on the podcast before and they're posting things they're posting stories or videos and saying we will never be free I hate it here. Mm-hmm. All these sorts of things. But when I say Me, it... I am in that as well. Go <laughs> right, on. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, he has a point. And I don't like the idea of anybody getting hurt either. But aren't we at that point where we're asking, what will it take to stop it? I think about it a lot. When I moved to California to go to uh, grad school, what I was dead set on was learning everything I could about people's perspectives on the 1992 Rodney King riots. Mm. And everybody I talked to, and I mean this, everybody I talked to talks about how it, that, that uprising made it everyone's problem. This wasn't something that folks could ignore or consider police brutality as something that was unconsequential to them because police brutality manifested in your not having a grocery store to shop at for a week, right. in your neighborhood being fucked up. You know, they we, we have the images from South Central, but anybody you talk to will tell you that it was widespread. For folks who know Southern California, I've heard stories about how there was um, uh, unrest way over in the valley. You know, uh, if if you know Southern California, so it it, it was a lot of people's problems. Mm. I think last summer here in the Twin Cities and elsewhere, you know, we saw something similar, where poli- police brutality manifested in 
your streets being blocked and right. you being on curfew. And that made it more people's problem. I think that was Chris Cuomo's point is that too many people consider it something that does not involve them or is not impactful for them. And I think the sooner that we can consider this everybody's problem, the closer we'll get to some sort of change. Going back quickly to you know what you said last week and what we were talking about earlier in this opus about the white relationship with the police officers. I think it is a white person's duty to understand that, yes, this is also your problem because, as you say, Scott, when you give them an inch, they pull the trigger. Mm. And while there is a disproportionate amount of black people impacted by that, I don't put it past the police to start shooting white people either. So Just comply. It's that easy. But we shouldn't have to. And no, we... I'm saying, oh, that, faci- I'm oh, saying yeah. that facetiously. Because you hear white folks talk about black people getting beat up or kettled in protests, shot. Well, then they should have complied. Okay, well, then when they start rolling up into your neighborhood, are you going to just comply? Are you just going to roll over and, and, and let that happen? Or are you going to stand up and say, well, now it affects me, so now I don't want this military-style oppression or I don't want this police brutality anymore because now it's impacting me? And again, as I said earlier, the proportions are very important to pay attention to when it comes to the disproportionate amount of black people being killed by the police. And there's a long list of white people who have been killed by the police, too. So not only is Chris Cuomo saying, you know, if this happens, that's when people will start paying attention. It's happening now. Mm -hmm. Is white people being killed by the police now? This is all of our problem. And we can't deal with it unless we all see it that way as our collective problem so that it can be our, we we can find a collective solution to it. Mm. Now, what is that collective solution? That's what I think many of us disagree with. I don't think we need the police. I think if we had community safety officers, that would be something something else because if I break my arm, if something happens, I need an ambulance. I don't need the police. Mm-hmm. You know? Anyway. Um the Chauvin trial. Okay. Triloquy number two. We have three quick things. This is number two, the Chauvin trial. We haven't talked much about it here today. Today is uh Monday, April nineteenth. We had closing statements. Mm-hmm. I made a point to listen. I, I, I stayed away from the trial. I listened to closing <sighs> statements because I thought it was important. Um, for folks who weren't paying attention and for folks interested, what I took away was the defense was trying to be very analytical, convincing the jury to consider that there could have been other factors in the death of George Floyd. Obviously, all of that is bullshit, but that was their approach. The prosecution was very emotional, trying to get the jury to um, understand just the the common sense of it. Um, Unfortunately, the defense called a couple objections on the prosecution that was actually sustained by the judge you know, objections um, saying, you know, you're trying to make this emotional. You're using language like shading the truth. So I, I'm, I'm going to just say it. I'm worried. I'm concerned because it has to be unanimous. And I feel like I hope I'm wrong. I feel like the defense convinced one of them at mm, least. Do you? What, 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 are you, what are you feeling coming out of this, this leg of it? You know, now the jurors are just going to First off, that was... Way too long. 
Yeah, I he think, was up I there think, like two and a half hours. He yapped worse than six barbers. The, and, the, and the judge one, had to say, girl, let's talk for right, lunch. Right. We, we're, yeah. There's people back here who have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So shut up for a little bit. And I think that that worked against him. I think after a while, I, if I'm sitting here going, you covered this, you've, you, you've made your point on this, move on. I think that that hurt him a little bit, but he also said, you know, believing what you see. He talked about believing what you see. Mm-hmm. Well, we have over nine minutes worth of video yeah. to look at, so I'm cautiously hopeful. Nauseously hopeful. How about that? For everyone not in the Twin Cities, send us your thoughts and prayers because it's going to get crunk if they don't, <laughs> if they don't convict him. Truth. You gonna head over to the guitar center? I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I'm, gonna, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I'm gonna be looking out my front window through the shades. <laughs> okay, look, <laughs> look. I know we're, we're laughing to keep from crime. Okay, last last little triloquy. So to tie this whole 420 thing around, all the panels, right? I like to watch them sometimes. So I'll, I'll check social media and, and see what sorts of discussions are happening. I'll put it on the uh, big screen, get, get nestled in with my joint or whatever I'm doing and, and see what's happening. So a few days ago, <laughs> I was watching one. And you know how in your high mind, you just start stretching things and, and making connections? That, that's how my mind works anyway. Mm-hmm. I was watching a panel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, not say names to protect the guilty. Um, <laughs> This organization, <laughs> this American-based organization, was speaking to diversity, DEI, and all of this stuff. And the representative was straight-up English, was like straight-up British. And I know it, it's, it probably doesn't sound the best. It makes, it, it makes me sound a little statist. But as I'm sitting there high, <laughs> all I could think about was... We're talking about American institutions centering European art and even being headed by people with European accents. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I stand up and I start to get mad and start thinking about, well, sh- well can I aspire to be the head of the, the, the Royal Music Society of England? Or, I mean, it, it, it seems like, you know, classical music, again, especially when you're, you know, enjoying cannabis, you, I, I get on these thought trails. It seems like classical music, so-called classical music in the United States is a colony <laughs> of Europe. All of these orchestras, all of these opera houses as cultural European colonies. What do you think? Am, do, do I just need to go have a cup of black coffee and sit down? <laughs> I don't know on this one, man. I don't know. I yeah, I see I I hear what you're saying and it makes sense. I know that a lot of these folks from across the pond got these jobs before And shout out to them. Right. They got these these jobs before all of these conversations started happening out in the pub out in public. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? They might they might be open to something new here in the states. I don't know. It, do you do you think that? Okay, let me ask you this. Okay, the organization that is being withheld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would you say that they? Are, I laugh because the organization has American in the name. <laughs> I, but, but, so my my question for you is: Are is is their programming reflected by that? 
head person? Are they adventurous at all? Are they incorporating a lot of Amer- living American composers, or is it the European canon? Um, I'm I'm gonna puff puff pass on that. See ya, see y'all next week. <laughs>